going to continue today the series that we started last week on uh, what I call fantastic fruit and where to find it. Uh, playing around with, uh, with uh, of course, a movie title that's playing probably in one of the screens in this building. Uh, but I'm playing with that and turning it into a series on the book of Galatians and uh, probably more specifically the fruit of the Spirit. Do you know fruit is expensive, like natural fruit in the store? Have you noticed this? Good grief. I mean, if you ever wanted to, you know, get your own garden or maybe get something going on your roof of your house... Wow, it's a good time because the prices are just crazy for even natural fruit. But we're talking about spiritual fruit here. And uh, last week we, we realized that, uh, you know, we talk about this, this famous list in, in the book of Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Let's test you a little bit. What, tell me the, what's in the list. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience, kindness, wow, you got it in order, self-control, goodness, gentleness, wow, this is a really good group. So we, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, and we, I mean, you, you do want the fruit of the Spirit probably more in your life, seeing as you've memorized everything in the list, but we realize that, okay, it starts with the foundation, just like when you plant fruit, or you get fruit in any sense, there's a whole process. There's a whole intentionality to fruit, and it's not, you don't just snap your fingers. And we tried to find a way, can we get fruit in like 48 hours, because I need patience like now, you know, and oh no, there's a whole process to this. And so chapter one of Galatians, we, we came to a sort of a summary of this, and here you have Paul. And he really finds his identity, who he is, in the gospel. And you see the, the broader context of this whole thing, this whole book of Galatians, has a, has a bit of a weird subject, I suppose, but very relevant for us. And the subject back then was, how do people who are not a Jewish get saved? How do they come to Christ? And that would apply to every single one of you in this room. And back then, there was a huge, huge controversy, of course, because it seems like God is accepting all of these non-Jewish people. And then there's a segment of those Jewish people say, well, hold on here. Uh, no, no, no. They, 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 they can have Jesus, but they have to have all the rest. Have to follow all of the laws of Moses. And for the men, you know, that's going to require circumcision. Oh boy, so, you know, you got all these things that are dumped on you that you have to do in order to be a part of the family of God. And of course, Paul, he fights against this and he says, no, you, you follow Jesus, you believe in Jesus, and that's it. That's where it starts. You don't need all of the rest to be in the family of God. You need Jesus, and whether you're Jewish or you're Gentile, it doesn't matter. You start with Jesus. All of those laws and all of those things cannot save you. And he fights for this, and he identifies himself and who he is, and not in what he has done, but in who God is. So that's the, the beginning. If you want the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you first got to figure out who you are. But today, we're going to move to Galatians chapter 2, and I'm calling this message Blind Spots today, Blind Spots. And I want you to, to try and stay with me here because we're going to cover quite a bit of ground in a very, very short uh, period of time here. 
Uh, we're in the book of Galatians in the, the Bible's New Testament, and this is chapter 2. If you weren't here last week, we went over, you know, what's a Galatian anyway, and where's Galatia, and all of these things. Uh, you can catch up with that message if you missed it last week. We're going to talk about blind spots today. And to, to help you to see this better, before you look at Galatians chapter 2, you have to look at a story that's not even in the life of Paul specifically, it's in the life of Peter. And uh, this you'll find in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11 of the Bible's New Testament. I'm just going to summarize it for you. But you have Peter, this is kind of in the early chapters of the book of Acts. The new community of faith has formed. Peter has, uh, has kind of inaugurated the birth of this new community with this message where you see 3,000 people added in a day. These people getting baptized and it's transforming their lives. And you see this kind of growth start to happen in the early chapters of the book of Acts, and then something really startling happens. It's like a major, major news story, and it would end up really being the biggest controversy in the book of Acts and in the whole New Testament. And it's this whole thing where God is accepting non-Jewish people, people who don't know Moses, they don't know the law, they don't know the Ten Commandments, they don't know anything. They've come out of all kinds of strange beliefs and all kinds of backgrounds, and they come to Jesus, and it seems like Jesus is accepting, God is accepting these people. Wow, big, big, big news flash. And it starts really with an experience of Peter in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. Long story short, he has a, a vision where God calls him to the household to a, a meeting with a non-Jewish military leader by the name of Cornelius. He is uh, high up. He is, uh, again, a military leader. He is not Jewish. He's of Italian descent. And the two of them, it's like God kind of weaves the circumstances together where Peter gets into this man's house, Peter and a little band of people with him. And we see what happens when the two of them finally meet. And in the process, while God is preparing Peter, he's, he has these visions, you know, and maybe some of you know this story, and he sees this kind of uh, picnic setting laid before him in these visions, and he sees all of this, what I'll call non-kosher food, and the voice is, says, Peter, eat it, you know, kill it and eat it. And Peter's, no, I can't. This is unclean food, like a good Jewish guy would say. It's unclean food, not kosher, can't eat the food. And, and this vision happens again and again and again. He says, don't you call something unclean or someone unclean that God has made clean. And so he, get, he has this encounter. He ends up in Cornelius' household. And we see a remarkable thing take place with Cornelius and the people in his household. They say, God has brought you here. We want you to tell us what God has to say for us. And Peter starts and he gives them kind of the straight salvation message, a straight, simple gospel message. And while he's giving them the message, 
that something really, really spectacular happens. And these people, they start speaking in these languages that they don't otherwise know. And this is a tip-off for Peter. It's a sign for Peter. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's what happened to us in Acts. We've had the same experience back in chapter 2. So Peter puts two and two together. He says, wow, this is proof positive, this is dramatic proof positive, that God has accepted these non-Jewish, they don't know anything, they're Gentile. God has accepted these people just like he accepted us. And I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt because, wow, this is a dramatic indicator right here. And so Peter says, well, we need to baptize these people. Because look at this, they have come to faith in Jesus. We know this beyond the shadow of a doubt because we see the exact same experience that, that, I mean, it's a dramatic, spectacular thing. Now, he's not trying to say that, well, you know, the only way that a person can be a Christian is if they speak in these languages. That's not at all what's being said there. But what is being said is that he knows beyond the shadow of a doubt God has accepted these people. God does not show favoritism. Everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. And it's like this dramatic, the light bulb turns on and Peter says, God loves the whole world. Just like Jesus said, for God so loved the, not the Jews only, not the Gentiles only, for God so loved the world. And so Peter's, wow, we didn't know this. Duh! You know, we say, we look at it, we say, duh, how come you don't get it? Well, he didn't, they didn't get it up to this moment. So it's this really spectacular thing. So this is the backdrop for what happens in Galatians 2. You say, why? Because in Galatians chapter 2, this is Paul writing, and Paul writing years later, we see it's, a, it's an amazing chapter, Galatians chapter 2, because in that chapter, we see an inside confrontation. We see, it's really embarrassing. I mean, if you're Peter, you would be embarrassed by this. Even if you're Paul, you'd be embarrassed by this. You know, you would think these two gentlemen would take their fights and deal with it outside of the writing of the New Testament. But no, Paul has to put it down in the book of Acts so everybody, the whole world's reading this 2,000 years later. This is an internal conflict that's happening of a religious nature. It's somewhat obscure, but it is there preserved for us in the pages of Scripture as all the trademarks of something that definitely really happened. Because both of these guys, wow, why do we have to read this, right? But it's right there in the Scripture. There's some powerful lessons about blind spots and the fruit of the Spirit nested in here. So this is what Paul says. When Peter came to Antioch, we have to try and do the homework there to dovetail things in the book of Acts with Galatians. It's, it's not easy to do, but just put yourself back in that time. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Two Christians, and Paul is getting right in Peter's face. And if you look at the history, these two knew each other quite well up to that point, and yet he, Paul confronts him. Why? Before certain men came from James... James being the half-brother of Jesus, who's, who's in charge 
uh, to some degree of the, the new church in Jerusalem. Okay, so uh, when, before certain men came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. So it seemed like Peter learned his lesson. In Acts chapter 10, had this incredible experience, the Gentiles coming to Christ. He knows it. He starts talking about it. He starts telling people in Acts chapter 11, God is accepting these people too. And this is what Paul observed. He says, yeah, but before certain men came from James, when these people came from James, the Jerusalem church, and they come, it seems like Peter flip-flops changes his habits. He used to eat with these Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. Why? Because he was afraid of the so-called circumcision group. This is the group that said you have to have all of these things and all these laws and the men require surgery in order to be saved. And he, it seems like Paul is saying, Peter flip-flopped on his conviction. And he's afraid of these people. And the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. So they're all being hypocritical. And that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, in front of them all, Wow, Paul, no trouble confronting people, it seems. No trouble. By the way, you're not all Paul, okay? Some of you may have a little bit of Paul wiring, but just because Paul does it doesn't give you an excuse, and you say, ha-ha, we all have to be like Paul. Let's go and confront everybody. Let's go and fight with everybody. No, 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 that's his makeup. That's his wiring, and you'll notice God doesn't say yay or nay, good job, Paul, or bad job, Paul. This is Paul doing his thing and seemingly doing it uh, without, the, the, without being arrested by God, without being stopped by God, but you're not all Paul. Okay? Some of you got a little bit of Paul maybe, but you're not all Paul. But he goes and he confronts him right to his face in front of them all. He says, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And he really calls him out, and he's basically saying, you're a hypocrite, Peter. And it doesn't, we don't see a response from Peter, but Paul just keeps going on and, you know, getting into the theological reasons why you don't need the law and all of these things to be saved, but the confrontation is there. I opposed him to his face. He was afraid. He's being a hypocrite. They're not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. You say, what's this got to do with the fruit of the Spirit? This is really interesting, I suppose, but it has no relevance to my life. Hold on. Uh, some observations with this and blind spots. You cannot, and I'm going to say this with some conviction here, you cannot develop the qualities of Galatians 5, 22, 23, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You cannot develop those qualities in a lasting, impactful way. All at the same time, the way the passage is written, it's a cluster. You, do, you don't say, well, I need to work on this fruit or that fruit. All of them are supposed to come at the same time. It's a cluster. It's a group that's supposed to develop naturally. You cannot develop these things. You cannot develop these qualities 
in a lasting, impactful way without the Spirit. You cannot. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You say, but pastor, I know people who are not even Christians who show more patience than me and more love than me and more joy than me, and they're not even Christians. Like, how can we say that we really need the Spirit to develop these qualities and that, you know, I know I've seen some non-Christian people. I've seen some atheists who seem to have more love and joy and peace and so on and so on. Let me give you a prime example of this, a little bit funny, and uh, you know, you can use this example for so many things. We've used it in the past, but I'm going to put it on your screen. Okay. <laughs> we used this when we, talked about, when we talked about the existence of God, remember? We talked about the moral argument and how, well, why do we have morals anyway? And why do some people think this is right? And why do some people think this is wrong? It's a classic example of what we're talking about. Uh, the, the famous now incident, millions of people around the world have seen this incident now. Of, of course, Will Smith, the actor, uh, striking uh, Chris Rock, the, the comedian, who's now selling out shows as a result. Uh, hopefully, Will Smith, you know, does all right, but I'm sure he will. Now, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here a little bit and say that I do not think that either of these men are professing followers of Jesus. I do not think that either of them are disciples of Jesus. And I think if I had them on the stage here, they would say, that's right, we're not. But they do probably use the name of God here and there and toss around God's name. And in some cases, respectfully, they do that. But I don't think they would call themselves followers of Jesus in the New Testament sense of the word. But just, just observing some things here. If you look on the left and you look at this, this Chris Rock, wow, what an example of self-control. It, it, that's pretty impressive, folks. Like somebody, now I know some of you think it's staged, all right? But let's just go with the idea that it's probably not staged. That's an impressive amount of self-control. You know, you're in front of all those people live and millions of people watching you. And this guy comes and, you know, it was a pretty hard, pretty hard strike. And you can see his little, you know, his little fist kind of go like this a bit. If you watch the videos and look at the pictures, you can see he thought about it for a second. And then he, then he composed himself. He even put his hands behind his back and he held it together and he did his thing. That is an impressive amount of self-control. It is. You have to admit it, folks. And I don't think the man is a, is a Christ follower by his own admission. You say, well, pastor, where was his self-control when he was making fun of the other dude's wife? Well, that's business, right? And that's what they do. Uh, but impressive amount of self-control. So I put self-control, exclamation point, but question mark. And then, of course, you have Mr. Smith, who, you know, uh, it's quite a display that he made. And then after, when he was accepting his Academy Award, he said these words, I am overwhelmed at what God is calling me to do. And love can make you do all kinds of crazy things and all of that, and we all saw uh, the things and the things that he uttered from his own seat after he, sh he struck Chris Rock were quite alarming things that he said, all kinds of colorful language uh, that he used as well. But great example of, is it the fruit of the Spirit or is it the acts of the sinful nature? Let me tell you folks, uh, when a person is as experienced as Chris Rock 
and you do stand-up comedy in the venues that he's done stand-up comedy, and in the years that he's done it, you learn how to control yourself when you have things that take place. Very impressive display. But I would not say that what we saw there is the result of the fruit of the Spirit. A lot of what we saw that night was the, was the acts of the sinful nature, wasn't it? You see, in Galatians 5, you have a list before the fruit of the Spirit. It's a rather graphic list of the acts of the sinful nature. And that's a little bit more of what you're really seeing that took place, probably on behalf of both of those men on that night. But the reason why we ask the question and why we say, why is it that it seems like people who are not even Christians are behaving in a way, with more of these traits in their lives than some Christians. Let me tell you why, and it's a, it's a bit of a jarring answer. The reason is that there isn't really that marked difference between the professing Christ follower and the non-professing Christ follower. There isn't that marked difference as much as we want to see it. And so we ask the question, well, why is it that the non-Christian is behaving this way when the Christian should be behaving this way? Can I tell you, that's not the non-Christian's issue. That's our issue. And we have to look in the mirror and say, well, hold on here. Where is the difference between the professing Christ follower and the person who does not follow Christ by their own admission. There should be, by a straight reading of the New Testament, there should be a marked difference. There should be a very, very clear, uh, obvious indication that this Christian person is living by a whole different set of rules, a whole different set of principles, and they, they live differently, they think differently, they react differently, they stick out like a sore thumb, to use that, that language. Jesus said, you're to be the what of the earth? Salt of the earth. You, you taste that. You know that salt is there. It preserves. And you are the blank of the world. Light, salt, light. You notice these things. You cannot help but notice these things. And the, the problem when you look at, when you look at this picture uh, is that, it, and we tend to believe this sometimes, even as followers of Jesus, and we think that, well, what comes naturally and what comes instinctively and what, you know, the, the reaction of, you know, this man when his wife was made fun of, and the reaction of this other guy when he got hit. And we tend to think that what comes natural is good. And it's always good. If it feels right, do it. If it doesn't feel right, don't do it. Trust your instincts. Trust the way that you naturally are because it won't steer you wrong. It's always good. And that, my friends, is not true. It isn't true. And that's why you need the Holy Spirit. And that's why the only way that you'll get the fruit of the Spirit in a lasting, measurable, impactful way is from the Spirit. It's not from yourself. You can't train yourself enough to have those qualities in lasting measure without the work of the Spirit in your life. 
Because what comes naturally and instinctively is not always good. Nature and instinct can be quite destructive. It can be quite harmful. It can be quite, quite dangerous. And this is a big news flash because the way that our culture operates is we're basically taught that if it's natural, it's good. What, what, what feels right is right. Trust your instincts. And the Bible would say, no, you cannot trust your instincts all the time. You need the work of God in your life. The other question, and these are penetrating questions, when people look at the, the, the Christ follower today, what are we most known for? And some people would say, well, you're known for what you're against. You're anti this, and you're anti that, and you're anti me, and you're anti them, and you're you, we know you for what, you're, what you don't like. We know you for what you are against. And you ask some people who are not part of the church, and you say, what do you think of, you know, well, you're judgmental. And you say, but pastor, somebody has to toe the line. Look at the world that we're living in. Look at the compromise. Look at the, the everything is down a slippery slope and the morality and the this and the this. And we have to toe the line. And pastor, wide is the gate that leads to destruction and narrow is the path that leads to life. So everybody's going to hate us anyway, pastor. We're going to be persecuted anyway because we're standing up for what's right and we're standing up for holiness. And the Bible says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It's still says that. It still says, be holy for I am holy. All of that is true. But is that what we're most known for? There should be a balance. There should be a, what about the love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness part? Or are we known only for what we're against? People need to also see the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Yes. You can take a stand. Absolutely, you can take a stand. But if that's all you're known for, that's why you need the fruit of the Spirit in your life because people need to see that. That's number one. You cannot get around it, folks. Train yourself all you want. Without the work of the Spirit in your life, you cannot develop these characteristics. Number two, it is very easy to get out of sync. I'll use that term with the Spirit. Very easy. So it was pretty easy for Peter. Peter is an example in this confrontation that Paul had with him. He is an example of walking out of step with the Spirit. He is walking by the flesh. Paul talks about the acts of the sinful nature or the flesh in some translations. It's not your physical body. It's that thing inside of you that, that wants to go up against God. It's that thing inside of you that pulls you toward transgression. That's the word that's used for flesh there or sinful nature. Not referring to your physical body. And it's very easy to walk by that thing. And when you walk by that thing, you're slipping out of sync with walking by the Spirit. Paul says, Galatians 5, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of that sinful nature. But you have to walk by the Spirit. You have to be led by the Spirit. You say, what's that mean? We'll unpack that in the weeks ahead. But suffice to say, it's very easy to get out of sync. 
with the Spirit. Look at the life of Peter. You know, Peter is a high and low. He's highs and lows. He would make a good, in a way, he would make a good politician because he flip-flops all the time. He does. If you observe his character, he is a flip-flopper. And I'm not trying to be insulting, but observe the character, and you will see he has these ups and downs. Uh, who did the people say I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, says Peter. That's an up. That's a high moment in his life. Witness of the transfiguration of Jesus, a high moment in his life. And yet he has these lows. Lord, even if I have to die with you, you are not going this route. And what does Jesus say to him? I mean, he's trying to get Jesus to avoid the cross in a sense. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Would you want to be called Satan by, by Jesus? I don't think I'd want Jesus to call me Satan. He calls Peter his enemy. Get behind me. You're a Satan. You're an enemy. That's what the word meant. You do not have in mind the things of God. Wow, that is, that's a low moment for Peter. Peter in the, in, the, in the garden, or not in the garden, in the courtyard, uh, probably Thursday night, Jesus is arrested. I don't know the man. And the, and the Gospel of Luke says, and the Lord looked straight at Peter when that rooster crowed. Oof, it's a low moment. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, when you return, strengthen your brothers, Jesus says to him. Wow, that's a low, Satan's going to sift you like wheat, Simon? He sure did. Had a field day with Peter, events leading to the crucifixion and so on. Low moments. Then Jesus reinstates him afterward. And so, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Three times, he says, three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus asked Peter. And he reinstates Peter. High moment. Acts chapter 2. Peter stands up, gives this message on, on Shavuot, on the Pentecost, day of Pentecost, Jewish holiday. Gives the message. 3,000 people. Added to the new community of faith, 3,000 people getting baptized. Incredible. That's a high moment for Peter. Very, very high moment. High moment for Peter. Cornelius and the household of the Gentiles, and he learns his lesson. Don't call anything unclean that God has made clean. And yet, here's Peter slipping back down. Highs and lows, highs and lows. Very easy. If it's easy for Peter to get out of step, with the Holy Spirit out of sync, then it's easy for us. Part of that, the problem is the list in Galatians 5 is so graphic. I mean, you read things in Galatians 5, and it's almost, it almost makes you blush. You know, it's like, Paul, can you d tell us what you really think, you know? I mean, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry. Oy, oy, oy. Does he have to be so graphic, right? Very, very graphic list. Just, oh, God, just skip over that. We don't, we don't do that, do we? witchcraft. What's he talking about? But look at some of the other things in the list. Discord, jealousy, envy, conceit, and he even adds, and the like. This is all in the chapter. All of these kinds of things. This is what Peter is struggling with as he's bowing down to the religious peer pressure. 
That's what he's doing. These religious folks are coming from Jerusalem, and Peter's like, well, I want to be liked by these people. I, I want a good rapport with these people. These are the, you know, the people from Jerusalem where it all started. This is Jesus' half-brother. James is in charge over there, and I want to look good in front of these people. He's dealing with some of these things, some of this and the like, discord, envy. Why are you envious, Peter, of these people? Why do you want their approval, Peter? And this is it's so easy to get out of sync with the Holy Spirit, so easy. Uh, think of it this way. Well, uh, Quebec snow, Yes. Have you seen a big, big, big snowstorm in Quebec or anywhere? A big one. I'm talking like 50, 60 centimeters, you know, in, in a couple of hours. Been a while since we've had a big one like that. But when those happen and you have to go outside and you have to walk somewhere, what do you do? Swim? <laughs> Get your snowshoes? Well, what you do is you look for somebody who's walked where you've walked before. You want to look and say, well, has anybody ventured out in this territory before? Is there any holes in the snow? Because if there's holes in the snow, what are you going to do? You're going to put your feet right in those holes. Why do you have to do the work, right? Somebody already did it for you. So you find, you say, hey, look, some guy walked his dog or whatever. And so I'm just going to follow. They did all the work for me. And so you follow step by step and you put your foot right in the hole. And you say, this is excellent. But if you don't have that, what do you have to do? You have to put your foot in the snow. You get the snow up to your knees and up to your thighs. You'd rather be in step with the one who has led you before. You know, online church has, has, has been an interesting thing. You know, over the last two years, all the churches around the world, they go online. And one of the funny things that you can do is watch online church from all kinds of churches. Uh, and when you do that, even our church, what you're going to see sometimes is some mistakes, yes? <laughs> the people online, you know, you, you're patient and you, you, know, you tolerate the mistakes, hopefully, the technical weird things that happen. One of the most common things that happens in, in live streaming in church settings is the audio and the video are out of, oh, you know, they're out of sync. Yeah, you've seen it before, I can tell, yeah. So it, the, the person's talking, and it doesn't, he's playing the cajon, but there ain't no sound. <laughs> or there's someone playing the cajon sound, but he hasn't started playing yet. Say, well, they're out of sync, you see. And this is what Paul is saying, you've got to, you walk in step with the Spirit. It's so easy to get out of sync, apparently, it's very true for Peter. So, last, last observation with this. Peter was, was fortunate. In my view, he's fortunate because he has Paul in his life. You say, well, I mean, it, it, Paul was really, really confronted him. He's really like, I don't know if I'd want that kind of person in my life. Well, you know, Peter was very fortunate that he had that because he has this person who cares about him enough, who loves him enough, to confront him. He's going to confront Peter. He's going to confront Barnabas. He's going to confront everybody. And he's going to say, you're all in the wrong. What you're doing is wrong. He doesn't do that because he hates these people. He does it because he loves these people. That's his personality. He's confrontational. But it's good to have a person in your life who can come and show you your blind spot and can say to you, what you're doing over here, you don't see this, 
But this is a problem and the way that you're going about this and the way that you're living and the way that you're believing, there is a problem here and it's good to have a Paul in your life. And that's, church is in many ways about that. As you develop relationships with people and you learn to trust people, you also learn to sharpen. And iron sharpens iron, the, the Proverbs say. And you learn to, to help each other and encourage each other, even if that means sometimes a little bit of difficult conversations. You, you learn to do that over time as you trust people, you develop relationships with people. And so if you don't have that, you're still not off the hook because the Bible would call you and, it, and it's really part of communion that we're going to, to observe today. And the musicians, you can come to the, to the platform and start playing and we'll, we'll get into communion, finish up the service. Um, but part of communion is, really has to do with this, where you examine and you confront yourself and you, and you even ask God to, to take a look at your life. We see the psalmist do that. The psalmist says, search my heart, O God, and know my anxious thoughts. He's asking God to take a look at him and be honest with him and show him his blind spots. It's curious. We see it from Paul uh, in Corinthians. He calls for this kind of self-examination. Uh, to this church in Corinth, especially when they're observing the Lord's table. And this is a church that had all kinds of problems with the way that they were going about this. They got people who are mistreating one another within their church. They got people who are being selfish and materialistic within their church. The problems within the local body and the way that they're, they're dealing with themselves. And Paul has really harsh, harsh words for them. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 11. It's a difficult passage for that reason. But he tells them, he says, you've got to examine yourself. If you examine yourself and you confront yourself and you judge yourself, you're not going to fall under the Lord's judgment. You read the chapter, you see how severe what's going on in the church in Corinth back there. But the principle of self-examination is still true. And if you want the fruit of the Spirit in your life, my friends, you've got to get to the place where you say, I know that I know beyond the shadow of a doubt without God and without His Spirit, I won't get there. I'm naturally prone to fits of rage. I'm naturally prone to vengeance. I'm naturally prone to jealousy and discord and selfishness. Those, are, those come much more easily. Those are much more instinctive than love and joy and peace and kindness and patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You've got to realize you cannot do it. No religion can give it to you. Only the Spirit of God can give you those characteristics as you learn to walk with Him. You've got to realize how easy it is to get out of sync with Him. But you also have to say, hey, I've got to examine myself. I've got to take a look in the mirror and be prepared for what God may show me that comes back. So I'm going to read this passage from uh, 1 Corinthians 11, and we're going to partake of these emblems together. But I want to, I want to challenge you a little bit to do so today 
in a more uh, introspective fashion and to examine yourself as we do it. Just the top layer is really thin here. If it's your first time using these emblems and you can expose the little wafer here. Very, very simple, these symbols. And this is what Paul says uh, to the church in Corinth. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Thank you, Wedlin. Yes, if you haven't been served and you want to participate today, just keep your hand up and Wedlin will serve you uh, the emblems of the Lord's table today. And also, if you're visiting, no problem. You can feel free to participate with us. If you're online, uh, go ahead and get some bread from your fridge, some juice, and that will suffice. Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Don't you forget, you've got to remember what I did for you on that cross. Let's partake together. And Paul continues in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. That's good news, folks. It's through the new covenant that you receive the Holy Spirit. The moment that you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. Doesn't matter what you believe about tongues or not tongues, separate issue. When you become a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And as you learn to follow Him, the fruit of the Spirit can come out of your life. That's the good news of the new covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. You do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Why? For whenever, first century, 21st century, whenever you eat this bread... And whenever you drink this cup, you do something very important. You proclaim the Lord's death. Not only that, but you proclaim that the Lord is coming. You proclaim His death until He comes. Let us partake of the juice together. Would you have a word of prayer with me before we... We let the band do their thing and we, uh, and we dismiss. Remember to pick up your kids uh, today before you leave. And um, we've got the annual meeting tomorrow night and Wednesday night, the Bible study, Thursday prayer. But let me have a word of prayer for you. Father, I ask that you would help us. Uh, we cover a lot of, lot of different things here. Uh, but God, I pray you would, you would sensitize us to those blind spots that we have in our lives. And uh, Lord, we so, so desperately, uh, probably more in our time than we've ever seen before, do we need the fruit of the Spirit? Do we need to be walking in step with you, O oh God? Uh, we want people to look at us and to see those characteristics developing in our lives. While we stand for holiness and while we live in a in a different fashion while our worldview is different and our morality is different and all of those things god may our lives be marked by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control 
I pray for people in this room, people who are online, and, and God, uh, they, they, they would say, I struggle with patience so much. I struggle with self-control so much. But Lord, that they would focus more on you, Spirit of God. May we cultivate that relationship with you and experience your fullness in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you today. Thank you so much for, for being here and joining in with us. I'm just going to be over in the corner to greet you on your way out. We'll let the band continue to play. God bless you today.